The Last Word with Matt Cooper. It's time for our weekly Last Word in the Environment with John Gibbons. And John, did you see the videos and the pictures of the electric vehicle, I'm told it was, that went on fire at the McDonald's in Kildare this week? Lots of people getting in touch with the programme telling, show that one to John Gibbons, wait till you see what he says about the electric vehicle going on fire. Except the truth's a bit different, isn't it? Uh, that's right, Matt. Good evening. Yeah, um, the 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 fire in in the McDonald's in Newbridge uh, this week was, of course, um, it was a several years old uh, Mercedes that went on fire. It was an internal combustion engine. I'm not sure whether it was diesel or petrol, but it was a good old fashioned internal combustion engine. Uh, but it does underline uh, the power, uh, particularly of the internet, to spread uh, myth and misinformation around this. And, and ironic, of course, that we only discussed it uh, on this slot last week, where we were looking at different myths, different renewable myths that are being uh, perpetuated out there and of course one of the most persistent one is uh, that electric vehicles represent some kind of huge fire hazard and of course the, the reality is that it is reckoned that electric vehicles are probably 20 times less likely to burst into flames either spontaneously or in a collision than their internal combustion equivalents. Have you not heard the story of the ferry that went on fire because of the electric vehicles on it? That's right, Matt. That's a, that's another one that was doing the rounds. Of course, as soon as this uh, car carrying um, ferry went on fire, again the internet lit up with its electric vehicles. What done it? And again, once the analysis came out, they discovered that the floor upon which the electric vehicles were stored wasn't in fact involved in the incident at all. But it does again emphasise that the, I suppose the the. Misinformation can be around the world three times before the truth has had a chance to pull its boots on. Well then, let's go to variations of greenwashing to discuss because we're going to talk about green hushing, green crowding, green lighting, green shifting, green labelling and green rinsing. But just remind us in the first place, the original, and what's the definition of greenwashing? Yeah, I mean... I suppose the master of them all, if you like, is greenwashing. And that is basically people or organizations who go to great lengths to, to pretend that their product or service, uh, has, uh, ecological or environmental credentials that are not, in fact, in, in, in alignment with reality. That, that's a simple definition of greenwash. Now, there's a financial think tank called, uh, Planet Tracker, and they sort of dr- drilled into this more deeply, Matt, and they came up and subdivided greenwash into, uh, the, the very categories that you've described. And it's kind of interesting because what's happening is essentially as the ecological crisis deepens, companies have a bigger challenge. They face a bigger challenge every day. And that is to convince the public that they're doing something. Now, convincing the public that they're doing something is far cheaper and far better for the shareholders than actually doing something. Because a lot of climate action, as we know, is expensive and disruptive and may reduce in the short term, may reduce profits. So some of the items that we, we refer to there, the first one is called a green hushing. And this is where companies deliberately choose to under-report green or ESG credentials to avoid scrutiny. Uh, To give a specific example... Why would they do that? They would do that. So, for example, what they're trying to do is to stay below the radar because they don't want this flagged. And I'll give you a specific example of the bank, the HSBC. They quietly downgraded funds. They had put out these funds that required full sustainability reporting. And then when nobody was looking, they quietly downgraded them from that to a much lower levels of, of green reporting. And that was described as green hushing. So what you're trying to do is you put a, a good story forward into the public domain, then in the background, you quietly walk away from it. And this, again, is a very 
very popular uh, tactic used among among particularly among the financial sector. Okay, what about green crowding? Yeah, green crowding. This is uh, called, this is all about hiding in a group and then moving at the speed of the slowest adopter. So, for example, in the UK, there's a group called the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. That sounds brilliant, doesn't it? 65 companies signed up. Then you look at who has signed up. They include ExxonMobil, Shell, and some of Britain's biggest plastics manufacturers. Isn't it great that words, they're involved, that they're committed to this? Fantastic. The same companies are also involved in lobbying to weaken the UN's global treaty on plastic pollution. So what they're basically doing is they're forming these, these, uh, groups and they're pushing forward policies designed essentially to give the public the impression you can trust the industry with this transition. We don't need no regulations. Trust us. We're there. So green crowding is you get a whole bunch of heavy polluters together in a crowd and then they all move along slowly and sell that to the public as we're getting there. Just give us time. What about green lighting? This is a bit cousin of gas lighting, is it? <laughs> it is in a way, although more specifically, the, the hint is in the, part, the second part. So green lighting is all about companies that, that have got a very bad story to tell. And the way they get around it, Matt, is they spotlight or green light one tiny green feature of their operation. So the one that, that uh, Planet Tracker drew particular attention to is Toyota. The, Toyota, the car- hang on. Toyota, the car manufacturer, who've been leading the way when it comes to hybrid cars and uh, the Prius in particular, and uh, various uh, EVs that they have. Surely Toyota is an exemplar. Yeah, I mean, to give you the numbers on that, uh, in 2021, 0.2% of the cars that Toyota produced worldwide were zero emissions. What Toyota have been brilliant at doing is giving the impression of being a leader in low emissions and a leader in electric uh, transition. What they have in fact done, particularly in the US, is lobbied and spent money opposing the green transition. Essentially, Toyota had the had the disadvantage, if you like, of being a, an early mover, Matt, in, in electrics. They had hybrids years ago. And rather than understanding the transition to electric, they actually balked at it and went in the opposite direction. So Toyota, for example, have put forward campaigns like Beyond Zero and another one, they say the future is electric. But the reality is that 99% plus of Toyota's business today is still in producing internal combustion engines. And the, the so-called hybrids, especially they're, they're delightfully titled self-charging hybrids. A self-charging hybrid map for the uninitiated requires 100% petrol to move from point A to point B, 100% petrol. But it's brilliant marketing. And that's a classic case of green lighting. Okay. And then what about green shifting? Yeah, green shifting. This is basically where companies say, well, it's not really our fault. It's your fault. And I'll give you probably the best example, Matt, is uh, BP, British Petroleum. They launched this thing called the Personal Carbon Footprint Calculator. And this is basically saying to you, the public, you know, Matt, don't worry about us. What about you? Have you done the right thing? Have you changed your car? Are you, you know, moving to a plant-free diet or to a plant-based diet? What about you, Matt? And the main thing is, the, the purpose of, of green shifting is to shift the blame away from the mega polluting corporations and to lay the guilt, if you like, to put a guilt trip onto the ordinary members of the public. And this is a strategy, and we know it's working really well for, for BP, because, for example, they also spend tens of millions of dollars globally 
on advertising their green credentials, yet 96 to 98% of their business, Matt, is right today is in pumping oil and selling gas. You see, so, now, there's a thing here, John. A lot of our listeners have been in touch to say you want them to do all of these things that will impact upon their own lives when it's actually the big oil companies and the big polluters and the big corporates and the big governments who should be required to do things rather than them. So weren't you almost falling into the trap there of green of green shifting yourself well i i hope not uh, i think i've always tried to keep the blame where where it lays and of course by the way there's a lot of blame to go around here let's be honest but it's reckoned Matt, that for every if you like 100 parts of the problem of the the great climate problem that we face about 10 percent of the overall responsibility is re- resides in the choices that you and i make every day 90 percent is at a policy level. In other words, the choices and the decisions made by governments and made by corporations. Now, we get to influence governments a little bit. Every now and again, they let us vote. But corporations are, to a large extent, they're immune to what you and I have to say about them. We can boycott them or we can give out about them on Twitter. But by and large, they do their own thing. And I completely agree that the folks that need to change here, and that's why they've become so ingenious at shifting the blame and saying, no, 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 it's not the big corporations. It's you, Matt. You need to change. You also have green labelling and I have an Irish example I want to put to you once you've given us the UK examples from this report. Okay. So the UK example that I wanted to look at in particular was Unilever. And of course, they, they produce many, many different products. The one in particular that was drawn up was uh, Persil, which is a washing up uh, liquid. And they claimed that they had this new plant-based formula for stain removing. And it was rejected by the UK Advertising Standards Authority on the grounds that while they put all kinds of uh, leaves and flowers on their packaging and talking about getting back to nature and their ads featured little kids rolling around in the mud, getting dirty, getting back to nature... The fact is the basic product hadn't changed. What had changed is the marketing. And that's what these companies are brilliant at. They have very creative marketeers and great budgets because it's vastly cheaper to tell a story than to change your production line. The Irish example I want to give you is an Irish electricity company which claims to be based on 100% renewables. But it turns out that actually it has blended electricity rather than getting everything from wind energy. And I think a lot of people who sign up for it feel a bit cheated. And I think so they should. I think absolutely. We say the same thing also with um, with the, 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 the gas providers in Ireland where they're making a lot of noise about uh, renewable gas and so on. And last time we checked, uh, somewhere below, I think it's 0.5% of the gas in the grid in Ireland today is coming from renewable sources. 99% plus is coming from good old-fashioned fossil gas. So this is another example of, of uh, and again, deceptive advertising where they put up these uh, gorgeous images and lovely visuals, you know, basically saying we're on your side, we're, we understand your concerns about the environment, we're, we're transitioning. Now, meanwhile, in the background, they're saying the hell with that, that's going to cost us a fortune, that's going to, that's going to reduce earnings for the, for the executives in the next quarter. We're not going to do that, but it's very important for our credibility with the public that we're seen to do this. So I guess what we have here, Matt, is a, is a big division between uh, what, they, what they say they're doing and what they're actually doing. And we can see this because the numbers aren't changing. The messaging is getting greener, but the actual 
emissions reductions are not yet happening. Okay, there's one other thing I want to ask you about. We had planned to talk about insurance and flood-prone areas. We're not going to have time, but I would like to come back to that one with you again at a future date. But I want to look at the Eurostat figures that came out yesterday and tell us about how Little Old Ireland is continuing to add to global warming. That's right, Matt. We, we, we may be small, but we, we continue to punch above our weight. Uh, Ireland per capita, I think we're now considered to be per capita the highest polluting country in the European Union. That, that really is, 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 is a shocking uh, statistic. And in particular, what we saw with the Eurostat report is that uh, emissions in Ireland rose by over 9% in the first quarter of 2023. Now, that is obviously a, a peculiar anomaly, and there are some mitigating factors. So, for example, the main thing driving it is the airline industry, uh, which has, of course, bounced back to its uh, pre-pandemic levels. And, of course, Ryanair, because it's Irish-based, its flights are getting booked, if you like, against Irish emissions. So that Even though the vast majority, 90% of those flights are taking place in continental Europe and the UK with no involvement with Ireland at all. So you couldn't really say there are emissions, could you? No, you couldn't. And and there are problems with this data set. For example, we know that this data set is based on GDP, as in gross domestic product, but that is based on economic activity, Matt, rather than actual measured emissions. So these are more assumed emissions rather than measured emissions. So I think we need to take them with a, a little bit of... Uh, well, well I am going to give you some other little figures because the CSO has just come out with a report in the last few hours as well, which says that for 2021 compared to 2020, Irish households and businesses emitted 5% more greenhouse gases. So that's a significant yeah. amount, particularly when we're under so much pressure from the European Union to cut emissions by 2030 and face enormous fines if we fail to do so. Sure. And, and of course, the, the critical aspect of this is failing to, to meet our um, obligations, our moral obligations, as well as our legal obligations to, to, to get emissions down. And of course, we're seeing playing out in real time right across Europe, the devastating consequences of failing to cut emissions. But yes, Matt, I mean, that really underpins the fact that we're going in the wrong direction. We're not getting there fast enough. If you take, for example, things like heat pumps, solar panels, uh, and so on, they're beginning to trickle through in Ireland, but we're still way behind the curve. The uptake, uh, you okay. know, and I think some of this probably has to do yet that we haven't yet fully clocked in this country that we're in a climate emergency. John Gibbons, thank you as ever. That CSO data says agriculture, forestry and fishing responsible for 35% of greenhouse gas emissions in 2021 by what's called resident units. So that wouldn't include the likes of Ryanair flights overseas. Industry responsible for 29%. Households 19% and the service industry the remaining 17%. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4:30. Today